Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz, where you will get the lowdown on Jewish festivals, holidays, rites of passage, observances, and everything else you need to know about living a meaningful Jewish life. And a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon on this beautiful Wednesday here in the Highfield. And of course, Judaism 101.9, and we're talking about things Jewish, and we're talking about whatever we can to uh, make your life not only a little bit more meaningful, but perhaps to give you some information that otherwise you may not have had, or to refresh your memory about things that you knew somewhere but uh, didn't quite recall. And that's what Judaism 101.9 is all about. It's about trying to reach everybody and trying to give everybody a little bit of an insight into things Jewish, into things to do with Torah, and into things doing with our mitzvot, with our actions and the things that we need to do in order to connect to our Judaism, in order to connect to God. We come across something really, really fascinating in this week's parsha, and this we'll deal with in the first part of today's uh, show, and that is that in the parsha this week, we talk about the first mitzvah that was actually given to the Jewish people. So while this is not a parsha shir, and there may be several other parsha shiurim uh, talks on in this radio station, as well as in other places, just wanted to deal with today in the first part, in, the, in our first segment, to deal with or to talk a little bit about the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. First of all, let's explain that the concept of a mitzvah or the translation of the word mitzvah is perhaps sometimes not correctly translated because very often you ask the average individual, what does the word mitzvah mean? Many people will jump to the uh, translation of saying it means a good deed. And as I've always liked to say, not every good deed is a mitzvah, and not every mitzvah is a good deed. If you think about it, there are many mitzvot where no action is called for. 365 of those are the negative commandments where we're told to not do certain things. So the inaction or the not doing is a mitzvah. That's hardly a good deed. We could hardly say you've done a good deed by not eating something that you shouldn't have eaten, for instance, in the rules of kashrut, and so on. So, a mitzvah is rather from the uh, real foundational word of connection. The whole concept of mitzvot is connecting to the Almighty. And as we leave Egypt and we become a nation, Hashem gives the Jewish people its very first mitzvah. And the very first mitzvah that Hashem, that God chooses to delineate for the Jewish people is the mitzvah of HaChodesh Hazel Achem, which really is the mitzvah of the calendar, of marking and noting the structure of the Jewish calendar and making sure, as he goes on to tell us, that at this time, Next year and the year thereafter and the year thereafter, he tells them, you should mark the beginning of this month, which will be the first of your months, which is the month that we know as Nisan. And in that month, you should celebrate 
and mark with the celebration of the exodus from Egypt, with the Pesach Seder and commemorating the getting out of Egypt and recounting uh, the story with the plagues and the exodus and so on, and doing it all with a Paschal offering, with the Pesach offering, doing that all together on the 15th of the month, uh, the 14th in the afternoon, going into the 15th of the month for Pesach, this is the first of your months, and it should be, this is your starting point. And now you must structure your calendar to take into account the months. And Rashi and our other commentators point to the fact that Hashem showed Moshe, He showed the Jewish people through Moshe a moon in its uh, uh, starting phase, the phase of the moon as it begins to start waxing once again. He said, this is... Rosh Chodesh, this is the beginning of the month, and this is how these months should be calculated and counted. And of course, that has led us to understand and to think about the parallel between the Jewish people and a lunar calendar, or the moon per se. Yes, the moon has many characteristics that are remarkably in tune and in line with Jewish thinking. The idea that at times the moon is small. But that doesn't mean it's not there. And it grows. It waxes. And it becomes full. And at times then it begins to wane. And it becomes smaller once again. Or so it would seem to the eye that it is not there. But it is always there. And we know that it's always there. Albeit that from time to time it is hidden. But the idea of the waxing and the waning of the moon is of course cycles of life. The fact that not always does everything go absolutely swimmingly? Not every day is perfect and beautiful and so on, but we still have the sun still rising in the morning and we still have the sun setting at night and we still have the moon going through its phases and the world continues and there are things that need to be done. And just because things are waxing or things are waning, that does not mean that that should impact in the things that we need to, to know and that we need to do and that we need to do in order to connect with, with, with God. Now, therefore, it has led us all to believe that we actually run according to a lunar calendar. Of course, the moon is also a night, a light in the, in the, in the dark sky. The idea of the role of a Jew being a light, as we know, unto the nations is something that is symbolized by the moon. We see the moon in the night sky. It is kind of fighting against the darkness um, whenever it appears. And this is something that gets stronger, gets weaker, but that is the role, the job of a Jew at all times. Now, when we think about it, this has led us, as we said, to marry the concept of Judaism or Jewish thinking or the Torah with the moon and to term it that we run according to a lunar calendar. However, a little bit later on in the exact same segment of Jewish thinking and Jewish law and in this week's parasha, we're also told that Pesach needs to be in the spring in Israel. The spring, Chodesh Ha'aviv, the springtime. Now, our uh, sages have told us that there was something very significant about the exodus taking place in the spring. It was an act of kindness from the Almighty. It wasn't too cold. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too rainy. It was a time, as you and I know, that Pesach always occurs at the time of changing seasons. 
But Pesach has to be at that time. It's a sign of Hashem's kindness besides anything else. His kindness in taking us out of Egypt and making it that it was at the most opportune and the most beautiful and the most uh, wonderful time and that it wasn't going to be too taxing on that people who had to walk that distance from Egypt to get them to the Holy Land, to get them to Israel. And so when we think about the concept of Pesach having to be in Chodesh Ha'aviv, we're suddenly introducing something completely different here. We're talking about the seasons. And we all know that the seasons are run by the sun. They are dependent on the sun, not on the moon. It makes no difference what phase the moon is in for your seasonal changes. It does make a huge difference in what phase, so to speak, the sun is in, where the sun is positioned in terms of the earth. That is going to determine the seasons, whether it is summertime, whether it is spring, whether it is um, autumn or whether it is winter, the sun is the active role player there. And therefore, we have the combination in the Jewish calendar and in this mitzvah of having to take into account the moon and the sun. Well, what a very beautiful mitzvah that is, actually, if you think about it. It is not only being environmentally aware, it is not only being aware of our surrounds, but it's also aware of time itself and how the various calendars calculate time is of absolute significance to us as Jews. We'll be back with you right after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Yes, we're talking about the Jewish calendar, which is essential to Judaism per se, but is also something that is very much part of this coming Shabbat where we read about the instruction to the Jewish people, the first mitzvah. You want to really connect with God, you've got to connect by sanctifying time, by knowing that time is of paramount importance, that time is something that is sacred, that time cannot be thrown away and wasted. There are so many different takes on it, but I think that I'm right in saying that the majority of people who have lived their lives would probably have many regrets as they uh, perhaps are looking to leaving this world, God forbid. But um, one of them is going to be that they don't have more time. Time is something that can never be replaced, but its functioning and its system and so on creates that environment and that atmosphere um, for each and every one of us to really, truly connect with God. What an important and paramount mitzvah, the mitzvah of HaChodesh HaZelachem, having our calendar and marking the special occasions, marking time itself. So there is within that all the things that are to do with Rosh Chodesh and the different months and all the um, incredible ways that our calendar is actually composed and put together. It is put together based on these two firm uh, bases, the lunar and the solar calendars. We're looking at the sun and the moon, or the moon and the sun, and the roles that they play. Yes, HaChodesh HaZelachem is talking about the moon, but then within that, the instruction that Pesach should be in the spring, we have coupling together the sun and the moon, or the moon and the sun, 
playing their essential roles in the advent of and in the construction of the Jewish calendar. And how does it actually work? Well, it's a complicated but very, very fascinating system. And that is that, of course, if we were to go only by a, a lunar month or lunar calendars, just by the way, it often sort of startles people to uh, remember and to think about the word moon is in that word month. That's what a month actually is. It should be according to the moon in this, the regular Gregorian solar calendar or the secular calendar that we use. It's kind of been rounded off to 30 days or 31 days, where in fact it is 29 and a half days, 29.5 days, more or less, that's the actual cycle of the moon from the phase one of the moon to getting back to phase one um, at the end of the month or the beginning of the next month. That would be 29 and a half days. The Jewish calendar is constructed, therefore, of uh, months that have 29 days and months that have 30 days. Understanding that the half day is something that's impossible to deal with in a calendar other than to lengthen or shorten. So we actually take over a period of two months, we have 20, one month of 29 days, one month of 30 days, more or less. And in that way, we compensate or we make up for the uh, missing half and then the other half that was gained by having a full day, if you know what I mean. And in that way, we actually um, can run a more or less perfect lunar calendar. But we have to take into account the solar as well. Now, it stands to reason if you're going to have six months of 30 days, you've got 180 days, and then you're going to have six months of 29 days to make up 12 months of a lunar year, you're always going to be 11 days short. You're going to have 174 plus 180. You're going to be 11 days short of the 365 days in a solar calendar. And this would explain why in many years the um, – the lunar calendar, the uh, our, our Jewish dates rather, run according to the lunar, lunar calendar, seem to get earlier and earlier. And in fact, it's earlier usually by 11 days, 11 days earlier. Uh, for instance, uh, Purim and Pesach will be this year than they were last year. But in order to keep on making sure that Pesach is in the spring and that all our Chagim, that all our festivals are in their right seasons – there is the need of what is known as a leap year. So every so often, in fact, seven times in 19 years, a leap year is um, intercalated or placed in the calendar, and that means that there is an extra month of Adar, the extra month at the end of the numbered months, the 12th month going into the 13th month would be that Adar Rishon and Adar Sheni, Adar Aleph and Adar Bet, and that would then put Nisan, or the month for Pesach, HaChodesh, Hazeh, Lachem, that first month, would be pushed back into its right season. Seven times in 19 years is the calculation that was made by our sages to get this all right. And so that will also explain why every 19 years the Jewish calendar date and the Hebrew calendar date should line up once again. So in other words, on your 19th birthday and then on your uh, 38th birthday and then on your 57th and so on, you should have the same Hebrew date and the same English date as the day that you were born. That is the way that this calendar is actually structured, a 19-year cycle. It's quite amazing. But the Jewish calendar has to take into account one more thing, and that is also the days of the week.
and the days of the week are significant for some of the Chagim, for some of the Yamim Tovim. And we know that the Jewish calendar days are calculated and actually work in a block. All the festivals actually work as a pack. They all are the, the, uh, always the same distance from each other. And we know that, for instance, um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's uh, the first of the month and the second of the month is Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is the tenth. That's easy. It's always got to be like that. And there are always seven days um, in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because that is the ten days of repentance. And then, of course, Sukkot is equidistant from always the same distance, rather, from uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it's always on the same days of the week as Rosh Hashanah was. And then Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah are the same. But it may surprise you to know that that's also uh, similarly equidistant and it also works together with Pesach and Purim and Tisha B'Av. And all of these festivals all work in a block. They all work together. And even the days of the week on which they occur. Now, we all know that Yom Kippur does not ever fall out on a Friday, and it does not ever fall out on a Sunday, and it does not ever fall out on a Tuesday. And the reason being, if you take a look at it carefully, is that those were the days on which Hashem made things that could contract impurity uh, when he created the world. Yes, Sunday, Tuesday, and Friday, and therefore Yom Kippur, which we want to keep away from any concept of impurity. It's the day of absolute purity, never occurs on those days, and therefore Rosh Hashanah cannot be on certain days of the week. In fact, it comes out that every Jewish festival can only be on four out of the seven days of the week, like Yom Kippur, like Rosh Hashanah, all the Chagim, all the festivals work like that. So it is an absolutely immense, huge, fascinating, and very, very intricately worked out calendar, and it's all given to us as the first mitzvah. This first mitzvah is about really knowing your environment and knowing the phases of the moon and the sun. And yes, of course, we don't have to go into the um, astronomical uh, calculations ourselves, although <coughs> they are laid out for us very, very perfectly and beautifully by people like the Rambam, like Maimonides, in uh, Kiddush HaChodesh, in all the rules and regulations about the way that the calendar works. You don't personally have to calculate it and work it out. You've got to make sure that you understand, that you know um, when the Chagim are and so on. So we all have a calendar that we pin up in our office or in our home. It's all worked out for us. So now you can Google it. You can check it out on, online and so on. It's not that difficult for us today. But the awareness of what goes into it and how it is keeping us perfectly in time and how every month and then every uh, every day, actually, we are taking cognizance of where we actually are up to in terms of time, how we're marking this day, that this day has to be more significant than the day before, and that we have to continually increase in our mitzvot, and so on. It all begins with the very first mitzvah that Hashem chose to give the Jewish people, which is the mitzvah of time itself. The mitzvah of HaChodesh HaZelachem, the mitzvah of um, the calendar and the way that it works and how important and how significant it is for our day-to-day -day living, for our week-to-week -week living, for our month-to-month -month living, and of course, for our year-to-year -year living as well. And so 
the months, the dates, the days are all of such paramount importance and such significance. And it's all this mitzvah of HaChodesh HaZelachem that appears in the parsha that we're going to read on this coming Shabbat. Now, this coming Shabbat is also a very, very significant date in the Jewish calendar, other than just having or I shouldn't say just having, but it's all about the Exodus and just being the Parsha of Parshat Bo, of us actually uh, getting out of Egypt. The last three plagues are mentioned in the Parsha and then we quit Egypt. But it's also a date of significance because on this Shabbat, we mark the date of Yud Shvat. Yud Shvat is the 10th day in the month of Shvat. And what is significant about the 10th day in the month of Shvat? Well, <coughs> If we take a look at it very carefully, we see that it is a significant date, and particularly in the Chabad Hasidic calendar, but um, a, a significant date for all Jews everywhere, and we'll explain why. First of all, um, let's build up by saying that it is the date of the passing of the Rebetzin Rivka, and this took place in 1914. The Rebetzin Rivka Schneerson was born in Lubavitch in 1833, her maternal grandfather was Rabbi Dov Bear, who was the second Rebbe of Chabad Lubavitch. And in 1849, she married Rabbi Shmuel, who later became the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe. So she was from the same family. In fact, they married cousins. And for many years, Rabbi Tzimrifko, who survived her husband by 33 years, was the esteemed matriarch of Chabad Lubavitch. And many Hasidim used to frequent her home to listen to the accounts and the stories about the early years in Lubavitch, in that town, the foundation of the Chabad Hasidic movement in Russia. She was the source of many of the stories that were recorded in the talks, letters, and memoirs of her grandson, who was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe. And there is a great network of Jewish schools that are known as Beth Rivka or Beit Rivka that was founded by Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak in the 1940s, and he named them after her. Beth Rivka, Rebetzin Rivka, whose yard site is on Yudshvat, uh, she passed away in 1914. But now that grandson, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, passed away on Shabbos morning on Yud Shvat, the 10th of Shvat, in the year 5710, which was in 1950. So here you have the yard site of the Rebetzin, Rebetzin Rivka, and the yard site of um, her grandson, the Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. If we take a look at the life of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, we see that his life spanned a period of real upheaval and transition for the Jewish people. He was born in 1880, and he grew up in the town of Lubavitch, the historic center of Chabad, which is about 300 miles west of Moscow. It was under the patronage of his father that uh, he established the Tomchet Mimim Yeshiva Network, um, and equipped the students with the knowledge, with the vision, with the conviction, and everything that they needed for a Jewish life, and that would soon um, sweep right across uh, Russia and, in fact, throughout the world. He became the Chabad Rebbe after the, in the, in the uh, aftermath of Russia's revolution and the civil war. 
rallying and reorganizing his scattered Hasidim in the face of famine and disease and uh, religious persecution at the hands of the communists, he stood up almost single-handedly against the communist regime and following his arrest in 1927, he relocated to Warsaw and built a new educational institutional infrastructure from scratch, which was then destroy, destroyed, of course, by the Nazis in, in 1939. The Rebbe came then to New York in uh, the early part of the Second World War and he immediately set about establishing Chabad and setting up all the institution and activities within America, and of course then went on to move it across the world and handed over to his son-in-law, to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, on this date, therefore, when he departed this earthly world. In 1950, the Rebbe became uh, the one who acceded to the leadership of the Chabad Lubavitcher movement. We'll be back with you right after this. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. So we were talking about Yudshvat. Yes, this is the day on which we commemorate, and that's this coming Shabbat, the um, passing of the previous Lubavitcher Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, as we mentioned before, also his grandmother, Rabbi Tzimrifka. But that day therefore marked the day on which although it took a year actually for the Rebbe to agree to become the Rebbe in place of his father-in-law, um, the uh, Rebbe um, became the Rebbe and therefore all the things that he instituted for Chabad both in America and Israel and around the world and the fact that today there are Chabad institutions, schools, Chabad houses around the world in every single uh, place where there are Jews, um, there is a Chabad presence and the amount of good that that has done for the Jewish people and Jewish communities, not only there but everywhere, is uh, exemplary and uh, remarkable. And this was all the work of the Rebbe over the past 70 years um, since he became uh, uh, Rebbe, actually, in 1951, one year after his father-in-law passed away. But he took on the mantle of leadership in, uh, in 1951, also on Yud Shvat, on the first yard site, on the first Hilula of uh, his father-in-law, of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. So therefore, Yud Shvat is um, a significant date coming up on this coming Shabbat. So it is marked by Chabad Hasidim around the world as being not only the day that the Rebbe himself used to mark the yard site of his father-in-law, and therefore there are customs uh, pertaining to the marking of a yard site, and particularly the yard site of a Rebbe. But it is also a day of great significance and celebration because it marked the beginning of the Rebbe's um, leadership, Milmark, the beginning of the Rebbe being uh, the one <coughs> who uh, uh, drove the Chabad uh, programs and made sure that each and every Jew everywhere was uh, thought of and cared for and inspired and uh, looked after and uh, encouraged to become much more in tune and in touch with 
his or her Judaism, with his or her advent to Torah, to mitzvot. And so the incredible date that is marked on this coming Shabbat of great, great significance, this date of Yud Shvat, of the 10th of Shvat, marks all of these things and then a whole lot more. And think about how, in fact, it is coupled together with the idea of um, the redemption from Egypt. It marks a date when things changed so fundamentally. It marked a time of Aviv. It marks a time of spring. It marks a time of when HaChodesh HaZelachem, where in fact we are thinking about, although we are still in the month of Shvat, but we truly are in tune with the Pasha of the week, where we're thinking about the uh, idea of the calendar, of the significance of time, of the significance of these important and fundamental dates which have molded us, which continue to mold us, and which we have an adherence to right up until today. We'll be back with you to sum up right after this. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Hi FM has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that is fair, and programming that is not harmful to children, does not amount to hate speech or the description of gratuitous violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa at P.O. Box 412365, Craig Hall, 2024. That's the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa, P.O. Box 412365, Craig Hall, 2024. Or send an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za. For more information, please visit www.bccsa.co.za. Get to Diskim now and be part of the magic with Disney's Frozen 2 playing cards. For every 150 rand spent in-store or online, get a free pack of four Disney Frozen 2 magical cards, plus an extra pack when you buy specially marked products. Activity Disney Frozen 2 Collector's Album, available for 54 rand 95. Collect all 54 cards and you may be lucky enough to find one of the golden cards, winning you great prizes, exclusive to Diskim. Pharmacists who care. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, this is Judaism 101.9 and we are talking about things Jewish and things that one should know and needs to know and particularly for the week up ahead and for the Shabbat up ahead and of course things that are paramount and important to us as Jews on our day-to-day lives and in our day-to-day lives and in the things that we do and that we need to do and that we need to know. And of course, we've been speaking about the uh, gift that Hashem gave us or the command that He gave us or the connection that He gave us, and that is the calendar. Noting that the, there is a significance and an importance in everything that goes into making the calendar. Think about it. Our Jewish calendar takes into account the sun. It takes into account the moon. It takes into account the stars. It takes into account the days of the week. It takes into account the creation of the world. It takes into account every single detail of uh, the history of our lives and the future of our lives. That is how our calendar is actually worked out and structured. This wasn't 
a thumbsuck by any manner of means. It wasn't something where uh, dates were just rounded off, you know, um, in the so-called Gregorian calendar. There were times when certain a certain number of days were just nixed from the calendar. They were just uh, taken completely out of the calendar in order to line things up. That it was felt that the calendar need to, needed to run on a solar system, and therefore, just willy-nilly, there was a division that was made of all the months to kind of make them fit into the year. The Jewish calendar is so exact because it needs to take everything and all needs into account. And if that's not a beautiful, beautiful lesson for each and every one of us, how considerate one needs to be in everything that we do. Every mitzvah should actually function in that way. Think about not only yourself, think about not only your fellow man, think about not only your environment, think about everything that, um, that, that, that comes into play and that you interact with all needs to be considered with every single mitzvah that you actually do and with every move that you actually make. It is a beautiful, beautiful lesson for all of us to understand and to think about. As Hashem tells us to make holy time itself and to make hachodesh hazelachem, to take this month and make it the first of your months and run our Jewish year according to this incredibly powerful and important program. It was also, by the way, the teaching of the Chabad Rebbes that we spoke about when it came to Yudshvat and we're thinking about the passing of the previous Rebbe and the advent to the leadership of the Rebbe himself. When we think about all of that, we think about what drove them and what they taught us all was how everything and everyone is of absolute importance. The uh, old and the new, the uh, young and this and the senior, the uh, environment and time itself of paramount importance. Let's take that as our lesson from all of this today and take it forward in everything that we do. And hopefully we will then have not only a beautiful rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, which I wish and hope that you and your loved ones will have. Uh, but please, God, that we're very, very soon we will see the fulfillment of all the things that this whole calendar is actually reaching to and everything that the Rebbe of Chabad tried to push for. Please, God, the immediate arrival of Mashiach now. May it happen speedily in our time. Wish you a great rest of the week. Great Shabbat up ahead. I look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on another installment of Judaism 101.9. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.